Kim, and welcome to Esoteric's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of August 11th, 2014. Join us this week as we talk with Bunker Hill native son Gordon Patterson about his childhood memories of Angel's Flight, the neighborhood's iconic Incline Railroad. We'll also talk with Donald Spivak, former Deputy Chief of Operations and Policy for the Los Angeles Community Redevelopment Agency, about the 1970s-era pedestrian bridges on the western slopes of Bunker Hill, which are soon to be rediscovered by a new generation with the completion of the Regional Connector Transit Corridor. So stay tuned. Los Angeles. El Pueblo. Lotus Land. The City of Angels. The Day of the Locust. The Slide Area. Where all the fruits and nuts ended up when they turned the country on its ear. But you and I were born here. Don't mind a few oddballs in the mix. They add flavor. Growing up in Cheviot Hills, my compass pointed straight to Fifth and Main. As a kid in Hollywood, I was forbidden to take the bus to the Central Library. But I did it anyway. Because you've got to start at the center to understand this confounding and fantastic city. Which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules. Rainer Banham said that. He taught us well. In the 1980s at UC Santa Cruz, now on our tours and in our time travel blogs, we're continuing the conversation. Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles and Charles Bukowski's The Birth of Noir. Route 66, The Lowdown on Downtown. The Real Black Dahlia. Positive public space, endangered landmarks, forgotten lore, memory maps, mysteries, murder, the allocation of resources, the hidden forces that shape public policy, Skid Row, Bunker Hill, preservation, restoration, redevelopment, it's a four-letter word, Los Angeles, you can't eat the sunshine, but you can drive around and take a long, hard look, and listen to the stories, and pass them on. Why are we doing this again? Because we love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason. So did Rainer Banham. So we did. Now let's begin. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of August 11th, 2014. This episode will have interviews with Gordon Pattison, a native son. He will be talking about his beloved Angel's Flight. Also, we'll be talking with Donald Spivak, former Deputy Chief of Operations and Policy for the Community Redevelopment Agency of Los Angeles. We'll be talking about those great pedestrian bridges of western Bunker Hill, which are about to be rediscovered by the the population at large once the regional connector is completed. So let's get started. Pishka Maven, Kim Cooper. I'll do my Pishka tap dance. There is a digital tip jar. It's associated with this podcast. If you like what we do and you'd like to contribute something to help fund our excursions and explorations of Southern California, you can go to the podcast page and make a donation of any size digitally on PayPal. We are always grateful for your support, which is never obligatory, but greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening. Good job, Kim. All right, let's let's move into closely watched trains. First one, Kim, there's a MOCA at the Pacific Design Center is going to do a, a retrospective about Marjorie Cameron. Yeah, this is an unusual opportunity to see a lot of the surviving artwork of one of the great occultists and occult artists of the Southern California beat scene. Um, Cameron, as she was often known, uh, is someone who we talk a lot about on our Pasadena Confidential Crime Bus Tour. But her work is lesser known in part because she was compelled um, in the early 1960s, I believe, to destroy a great deal of her artwork as part of a ritual suicide. 
Uh, so there's not much left, but uh, only a museum could really bring it all together into a single place. And it's wonderful that it's happening in October of this year, because October happens to be the centennial of her husband, Jack Parsons, the rocket scientist and Pasadena occultist, uh, also subject to our Pasadena Confidential Tour. And in October, we are continuing our work reviving the lore and history and work of Parsons with a really interesting Lava Sunday Salon that I'm going to let Richard tell you about. So October of this year is very powerful when it comes to the magic of Southern California. You were almost breathless, Kim. You, you, you need to not, not trail off on your sentences. I could barely hear what you said. You, you said magic in Southern California, and I'll continue. So October... October... Twenty-eight. The last Sunday in October, uh, the OTO Star Sapphire Lodge is back. Craig, Barry, Suzanne, Suzanne Torcha, they're back. They've been helping us. They've been doing a great deal about the OTO for Lava. Um, they're going to put on the Babylon Working. The Babylon Working is... A incantation which Parsons brought into the church. Uh, obviously, with with Crowley's blessing, blessing, nothing happened without Crowley's blessing. Uh, he brought it into the church. Uh, Crowley. Oh God! Did I say that? I'm sorry. Crowley rhymes with holy, not foully. Crowley. Parsons wrote the incantation. Parsons. Uh, went up to what we believe was the Koso Petroglyphs outside China Lake Naval Base, and uh, with the help of, of L. Ron Hubbard, successfully completed a uh, incantation of the Babylon working, and soon after, Marjorie Cameron appeared in his life. So, a, a lot of tie-in. I said to Richard, and, and, and he scoffed and mocked me, but I said that I think Cameron and, and Parsons' magic is still functioning, that all of this stuff is happening in October. But What, 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 what do you mean? Did, I, I said that's called an astral shell. I guess that's what you said. Anyway, I feel like they started this in the 40s, and we're still dealing with it, so come be part of the magic. That's what I'm saying. You... Kim, I'm going to actually take you to task. You say I scoffed when you said things which had started out in the Mojave Desert 50 years ago, or, or 60, 60 years ago, are, are now coming to fruition. That is, that is an intrinsic principle I abide by. Um, what I did was, you, 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 I think you, you, you referred to them in such a way that caused me to correct you and, and refer to their shells. I remember it was, I said, they're still here. And you're like, that's not them, it's their shells. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're still here. We'll disagree on that with love. Okay. okay, karma, reincarnation, everything you start gets finished. Okay, these are, these are I fall out of bed saying that. So just don't, I, I, I don't want people thinking that I, 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 I know that. Okay. All right, let's, let's keep moving <laughs> on, Kim. Or I'll start reciting the three fundamentals. So the Arts District Archway Theater and Yoga Studio uh, on on Hewitt Street, Hewitt Attraction, is closing. This is this is sad. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for those two enterprises. I mention this mostly because that was the former location of Al's Bar, which is a very fair which which defined the Arts District. And a later tenant, of course, of that space was for a prefile was Bedlam. And our dear friend Terry Ellsworth lives in the American Hotel, which is finally about to have its proper history presented to the world once Stephen C. Mayer's documentary Young Turks Part 2 comes out next year, because Stephen's gone ahead and, and done the digging needed to give us a complete history of that important single-room occupancy hotel in the heart of what is fast becoming a scene of international investment. Two observations. One, the folks who are leaving are blaming rampant development and the inability of their guests to find street parking uh, for why they need to close. My prediction, uh, someone who owns the building actually wants to reopen Al's Bar. So you heard it here first. It won't be Al's Bar, though. It can be called Al's Bar. Al's Bar is closed. Al's Bar is never coming back, Kim. 
The astral shell will help, though, I think. I think that's what people are, are looking for. All right. A quick, just some quick notes in passing. Church of the Epiphany, Lincoln Heights, that's Seashell and Altura, basically at Griffin and Avenue 26. This was, uh, this is a church that's going to get a couple hundred thousand dollars in renovation funds, and they're going to start to restore it. It's a beautiful church. It's on the way to our post office. I pass it uh, routinely in the course of my week. Um, it's a great church, and it has a long history of being a, 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 a gathering point for the Chicano power movement. So if you want to, once they reopen, I'm, I'm, we're, we're going to go. I'm very excited about it. It's, it's a nice-looking church, so we're, we're very excited. No, it's a beautiful arts and crafts church, and it's, unlike a lot of the churches in Northeast L.A., it's, it's never been renovated in a style that's meant to be more efficient, so it doesn't have the drop ceiling. It's it's really an intact arts and crafts structure. And what's really cool about the fundraising is they've tapped into um, contemporary artists, very prominent contemporary artists, and they do these uh, benefit auctions. So they've already done one. They've raised significant significant funds, and they're continuing to do it that way. And I love that the art world is supporting this space and that the youth in the community, and it really does serve the youth to a great extent, are seeing that artists give back in this way. So it, it's a really cool way of, you know, it's not a traditional grant. It's not, it's very much outreach and communal, as it should be for a space like that. Good. Okay. Let's, um, actually, this next item is, is contains two closely watched trains. I, if, if we've not explicitly said so, let me take a minute and do so. Gail Holland, L.A. Times reporter, is a closely watched train. Okay, Kim, tell us why Gail Holland is a closely watched train. Because in a time when the Los Angeles Times is, for the worst for all of us, really cutting back on the re- their reportage and has so few people on staff and, and has pulled their, beat in, their beats in, for the first time, as far as I know, they actually have a Skid Row reporter. And Gail Holland does beautiful work. She really gets into the stories, and she's reporting on things that for many years have gone completely under the radar, and they're extremely important. Los Angeles is the last major urban center with a huge skid row. The issues raised by what's happening in our skid row as compared to what's happening a little bit to the west in the gentrifying downtown are very charged, very important. And I feel like she's doing work that is not only necessary for us in this particular moment in time, but that's an important documentation of what's happening for the future. And I'm really grateful that the Times continues to send her out to do this work, and I'm always interested when I see her byline come over my feed. I always send her an email that I like her articles. You should do so if you like her articles, too. It, 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 a little, a, a Goodwill goes a long way. So she just wrote an article last week that came out. I don't want to get into it. I just want to call it out. It's This is an article. We mentioned this last week. Uh, the city and the county, the Los Angeles Homelessness Authority is trying to, is changing the way in which people with mental health issues on Skid Row are being, are being treated and are being handled through the LAPD, through mental health services, and this, this changing paradigm is being documented by Gail. And, and it's, it's still very much only in, in, the, in, in the, the beginnings of, but, but the, the, the wheels are turning and Gail is documented. Stay tuned. It's, it's a very interesting topic. It's a closely watched train. It raises a lot of really uh, serious issues about civil rights and what it means to have essentially an open-air asylum in a community. But if they succeed at this and they find a way to house and and treat and help the profoundly mentally ill who are on the street, that's really going to change the situation in Skid Row. Because if the mentally ill aren't there, then we can actually look at what's happening on Skid Row outside of the mentally ill, who are a huge, huge and troubling issue that's almost unsurmountable unless things change. So we're, we're living in a very interesting time. I, I suggest you keep your ear to the ground where Skid Row is concerned, or you know, maybe don't exactly touch it to the ground, but keep it close. Council Member Mitch O'Farrell, Mayor Eric Garcetti, go, uh, go get Department of Cultural Affairs in gear. Fix Barnsdale Park. You always say Barnsdale. It's Barnes. Why don't we just call it Olive Hill? 
Yeah, Barnstall. Whoa, what is going on? Beautiful, beautiful place with uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, Hollyhock House at the top, and, and um, community-run art gallery, theater, educational centers for the arts, right there in the middle of Los Feliz, and apparently it's just turning into a encampment, probably because a lot of the homeless are being pushed out of downtown, and a graffiti zone. And it's really not okay. And as with so many other things, if you create positive public space and you give the community opportunities to use that space in a viable, affordable way, all these awful things will stop happening because there will be a lot of eyes on the park. So please, open up these spaces. Let the community use them. There are so many talented people in Northeast L.A. or, well, I guess, you know, what, what do you call that neighborhood? It's it's it's, uh, it's Hollywood. Even Hollywood, you know that theater should be active every night. There should be art shows all the time, and Hollyhock House should be open. People should be sitting out and drinking wine on the lawns, and I'm not talking about hobo wine. Oh, there's nothing wrong with hobo wine. So the city really needs to get in gear. It is a wonderful resource, and uh, I'm hoping a little negative press will will lead to that getting fixed. I, I don't. I think it's going to take a lot of work. I think that the formal, former council member there and the current one are deeply entrenched in, 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 a, in a lot of denial, and the Department of Cultural Affairs has made a real mess of it. And there's a lot of overlapping jurisdictions from other places like the county, and it's very complicated, and they really need an outside problem solver to come in and, and, and clean things up because the people that are currently maneuvering are, are, are doing a terrible job. Kim, do people like Craftsman Bungalows on Figueroa at 41st, 45th Avenue? It's so bad, Richard. It's so bad what they did to the supermarket. Like, okay, one of the only Googie-style, mid-century, modern retail spaces in Highland Park, which is largely a Craftsman neighborhood uh, for some craftsman residential i don't know if there's such a thing as a craftsman commercial space of course there isn't because that's not what the craftsman style <laughs> is about unless maybe it's a hotel it's idiotic it like is... frank lloyd wright's hotel in tokyo yeah this is idiotic it is idiotic that a neglected space which which was allowed to decay for years basically a pretty crummy supermarket made this huge fuss about how they needed to upgrade by looking more, I don't know, like something in a suburb, some manufactured faux machine-made simulacra of the craftsman style. It's disgusting. And what's really disgusting is that CD1, Gil Cedillo, every Yay. opportunity he has to go against a historic structure being preserved in situ, he comes out against it. I'm terrified about what's going to happen to Barlow Respiratory Hospital in Elysian Valley because they want to develop that. The owners of the, of the hospital are making the same sorts of noise that the owners of the supermarket made. If we don't change an upgrade, we can't make any money. Change an upgrade meaning put thousands of apartments in a park. And you know Gil Cedillo is going to be in favor of it because the developers are going to give him a bunch of money and it's going to sound like the greatest idea in the world, and it ain't. Kim, I, I think that that your 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 alleged assumptions of what council member Cedillo is going to do are are well taken, but we don't know. But um, we we do know that a lot of zoning needs to be changed for Barlow to be anything other than what it currently is, and that that too is a closely watched train. And and I imagine that there are probably some um, bulletin boards in his Highland Park field office which predate his coming into office that he probably wants to preserve. For, for the sake of Ed Reyes, so don't 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 sell him short. Kim, I have some really exciting news. The Clark Hotel and Trinity Auditorium are still closed, and so is the Bank of Italy. The Chetrits hoard buildings and they rot. I'm actually so pleased that I've just turned in the copy for my Raymond Chandler map of Los Angeles for Herb Lester, designed by the great. Paul Rogers, and I've actually included the Bank of Italy building at 7th and Olive, where Raymond Chandler worked as an oil company executive, one of the most 
beautiful buildings in Southern California, which is currently gutted with its windows open, filled with pigeons owned by the Chetrits, as are the Clark and Trinity. Um, and I, I have a nice little dig at them uh, for their continued neglect of this building that actually smells bad. The closer you get to the building, the worse it smells. Have you ever had a building smell bad before? It's really something. I think um, I'm hoping that um, it's it's getting harder for them to to play handball at the Los Angeles Athletic Club because they're such bad property owners. I'm hoping that all the property owners adjacent to them who have lockers next to them are giving them giving them the fish eye and asking them to please fix their buildings because I think they can. And I look forward to them opening in in good time. Okay, Kim, we have one last closely watched train, and I really want to take the time to set this up well. It's about the Dutch chocolate shop. Okay, so there's a petition. What's the Dutch chocolate shop? The Dutch chocolate... Okay, Kim, the Dutch chocolate shop is 217 West 6th Street in downtown Los Angeles. That's between Broadway and Spring. It is the interior of the old uh, Finney's Cafeteria, originally the Dutch chocolate shop. Finney's Cafeteria is the historic cultural monument designation. We've done a number of tours there. Our good friend Brian Kaiser has spoken extensively about this space in the space. Uh, the leaseholder is Charles Oslon, whose family owns the building. Uh, the Finney Whit the, the Finney Wilton Building is the proper name of the building itself. The Dutch Chocolate Shop sits on the first floor. Charles Oslon, leaseholder, has put out a petition. Okay. Love Charles. God bless him. He's doing a great job with the chocolate shop. He's kept it. He's, he's trying to find the funds. Okay, his petition is asking Mr. Hallen, who owns the Mercantile Arcade building, which the Finney Wilton building abuts, he's asking that a, a, a doorway, which was put in in the 1980s with the... I, I, I hope I hope I'm not stepping on Donald's toes by saying this. Donald Spivak was 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 involved in the process of putting this door into the back of the Dutch chocolate shop to provide access into the Mercantile Arcade. It was a great idea because the Mercantile Arcade, um, up until very recently, was a very busy space, and it's great access. So Charles has a petition up asking that you sign it in the hopes that Mr. Helen will see this petition and agree to open up the space. I think it's a little more complicated than that, and I'm not going to, and, and, uh, and I, I'm just going to say, I think that there are a lot of issues that I've heard from both sides that are not mentioned in the petition. So, <laughs> so I feel the petition gives a fairly simplistic view, but I, I think... Mr. Helen, tear down this wall. Right. Okay. So I think that um, Mr. Helen is one of the good guys. Charles Oslon is one of the good guys. So I think it'd be nice if everyone who cares about the Dutch chocolate shop, just if, if they're so inclined, sign the petition to let Mr. Helen know that, that everyone wants the goodwill to continue. And maybe the two of them can, can come to an understanding. I, I don't think the only thing that... I, I, don't, I don't think signatures are going to get them to an understanding, but I think signatures might, might help them along the way to an understanding and and with that we're we're going to wrap up closely watch trains and i'm going to remind everyone that um next week august 17th well the end of this week end of this week this coming week uh it's charles bukowski's birthday open mic night at gatsby books on the 17th charles bukowski's birthday is of course the 16th, the day before, and I just wanted to call that out because our, our good friend Joan Job Smith is the lava visionary who is uh, sponsoring this event at Gatsby Books, and, and we love Joan and we love her husband, Fred. And Kim, do you want to tell us about the August Salon at the end of this month on the 31st? Sure. The August Sunday Salon features uh, Sean J. O'Connell speaking about Charlie Parker's drug-fueled jazz excursion into Southern California. It's going to be a wonderful story adapted from his new book about Central Avenue jazz. And also, our dear friend Soror Lilia from the OTO will be coming to talk about a magical life, how she has practiced her magical activities through her daily life. And she is, of course, a member of the OTO, so this is part of our um, centennial celebration of 
Jack Parsons, and are seeking to understand this very interesting occultist in Southern California and the legacy he leaves behind. It's always free at the Lava Sunday Salon, and it'll be followed by one of Richard's free Broadway on my mind walking tours. Check out the links, and we'd love to see you there. Good, good job, Kim. I'm going to say, too, that this salon starts just a few hours before day two of the Budweiser Made in America. So um, if you're coming to the salon, and we'll put this on the salon page, don't get off the freeway at Temple in Civic Center. Don't, because you, you won't be able to get off the freeway anyway. But um, come up come up from the south or the east, or better yet, just take Metro and walk over from Pershing Square. You can park in Chinatown and hop on the Metro. Made in America is going to be a real eye-opener. Um, something like, is it 7,000 or 15,000 cars that are expected to park in the Civic Center? Expected that evening to park at the Civic Center. The event starts around 1 in the afternoon, baby. I don't know when people are showing up. If I Okay, so great. So now, now, ticket, now no one's going to come to the salon. No, I want people to take the subway. If I paid that much for a ticket, I might come. But <clears throat> I want people to come to the salon. I, I I really think it's it's going to be okay until about four. Okay. I, I really do. Well, the, the the positive thing is there are no ins and outs, so that's something that people are going to bear in mind if they want to stay all night. So. I think the uh, I think I think the 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 twelve year olds are going to get dropped off by their parents at at two, when the doors open, and they'll get picked up at six by their parents. <laughs> so. Okay, thank you, Kim. All right, we're gonna we're gonna put those notes about not going through Civic Center. I'm gonna ask Suzanne to do a little bit of magic to make this all work smoothly. Okay, thoughts have wings, Kim. Get started yourself. Okay, stay positive. It's gonna be fine. Okay, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great walking tour after the salon. Okay, I I want to move on to the, introduce the interviews, but I just because we just posted it, because we just posted it. I want to call out that the September Lava Salon will be taken entirely by the time of Marc Chevalier. He is the Lava Visionary of 2014, and he is going to be talking about, he's going to be giving a talk of the sartorial history of Los Angeles. He's going to talk about three major tailors to male celebrities and their stories and their passions and and their suits that they made for for these male heartthrobs that um, have really created goodwill. Probably, I think at this point in our solar system, I think I, I think I think there's I think there's intelligence in in the outer reaches of our of our universe that 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 still think fondly of Cary Grant. I think they're picking up the the radio waves right now. I'm very proud of Mark. He's doing wonderful work. And part of the reason we're so excited to have him as the Lava Visionary of the Year is he is truly an amateur historian. He is self-trained. His passions have informed his work. He does magnificent research. He's always connecting with family members and discovering lost archives. He is the very model of a Los Angeles visionary. And we're very, very excited about his talk and hope that you will come and see why we think he's Visionary of the Year and why he is. (laughs) Good. Okay, let's let's get into the interviews. Okay. Gordon's our first interview. Gordon's going to talk about old, well, Angel's Flight, old and new. We're going to interview him first, so I'm going to introduce him second. Our second interview will be with Donald Spivak, so I will introduce Donald first. Okay. Donald Spivak, former Deputy Chief of Operations and Policy for the Community Redevelopment Agency of Los Angeles. That is a very long way of saying there really isn't much that is a about to explode or has started to explode in downtown Los Angeles that he was not involved in at a fundamental level 30 years ago. There's very little. He does not have an incredibly exacting and specific opinions about. Um, and, and this is just one of, I think, um, 10 interviews that I've done with him. I think I've published seven and I've got a couple more in the queue. And he's a, and, and we're going to talk about the pedestrian bridges of Western Bunker Hill. These are these connector bridges that run out of uh, Bunker Hill Towers, which was really the second structure to be put on the, the, the newly redeveloped Bunker Hill in 1970. 
Union Bank building means 68. Uh, these connect Bunker Hill Towers with the World Trade Center and um, 555 South Hope, 333 South Hope, uh, which is now the Bank of America Tower. And they'll be, well, we'll we're going to get into that. This, the, the, they, they, they envisioned when they put these in a regional connector 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and the Metro is finally getting around to a, a regional connector. Uh, the original regional connector, we talk about this at length, but I, I love to say it. The original regional connector was, of course, the failed people mover project. Who doesn't love a people mover? My hope is because they got so far with this plan first time around that they actually have renderings of what the artwork would have been. And if they just stick with that artwork, it would be the coolest thing in the world. Hopefully there's a lot of really jazzy mosaic involved. First interview, Gordon Patterson. We've interviewed Gordon before. Gordon is a native son. He grew up on Bunker Hill. His family owned the salt box and the castle, the last two structures standing on Old Bunker Hill, he is going to talk about Angel's Flight, his childhood in Angel's Flight, his seat in Angel's Flight, and the whole concept of effective ownership. So with that, let's take it away with my interview with Gordon. Gordon, Gordon, I'm here with you. We're at Angel's Flight. We're at the station house on top in California Plaza. I need you to properly introduce yourself. I'm Gordon Patterson. Um, I have uh, known Richard and Kim for a long time, and uh, we've, I've been interviewed before. Um, but some of you may know that uh, I uh, grew up on Bunker Hill in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. We owned uh, some property up here. We owned the castle and uh, the salt box, which were the last two of the Victorians that uh, were removed um, when the CRA took over the hill and tore everything down. and um, Redeveloped it. Okay, good. All right, that's a good introduction. We are at the station house at Angel's Flight. Uh, I, I think you and I were just at a lecture recently at USC that Ned Kaufman, the preservationist, gave, yeah. and he, I think he introduced both of us to a ter term I think we've both used a lot since then, mm -hmm. and that term is effective ownership. Right. So I want you to talk about your seat on Angel's Flight. Yeah. Well, he, he uh, really kind of opened our eyes and or expanded our horizons in uh, historic preservation. And that is a great term, effective ownership, because uh, although the people in a community may not actually physically own the, the, the physical premises, everyone who lives in the community has ownership of the elements of that community. And uh, we did own the castle and the salt box and a couple other properties, but Angel's Flight belonged to all of us, and Angel's Flight is mine. Uh, I packed one particular seat on the car uh, in the back where there's a, an open seat with so sort of a, a wire cage. That's my seat. I own that seat. <laughs> That's the one I rode in when I was a kid. Um, up and down uh, Angel's Flight, which we did every day. Angel's Flight was a piece of public uh, transportation, um, not the kind of nostalgic anachronism it is right now, uh, and it's not even running right now, but uh, uh, we rode it all the time. And uh, we were here uh, a while back and did an interview for uh, KCET. Right, Nathan, Nathan Masters, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, when we were standing down below, God, that, that was really that was there a couple, were a couple of ago. kids that jumped on the Angels' flight, and what did they do? They ran up and sat in that seat because that's the, that was a magnet for kids, and then they were squealing with delight because it it was um, it was a great thrill ride for us kids. So let's so let's try and get a better sense of this thrill ride, and to do that, we have to first deal with the fact that Angels' mm -hmm. flight. Was dismantled in 1970 or beginning of 1970, and didn't reopen for over 20, almost 25 years. Um, when it reopened, it was moved from its original location at the foot of Third and Hill to about half a block south. So you're going to talk about this thrill ride, but as you do this, people have to understand that you're talking about a funicular that sat 
over the mouth of the Third Street right. Tunnel. So yeah. give us, t- explain to us what Angel's Flight in its original location, the geography, was like yeah. before you began the discussion of the thrill ride. Okay. Um, yeah, we're, we're very happy that Angel's Flight is back, even though you can't ride it right now, but we have faith that it will open again. But in those 25 years or so when it was uh, gone, we sort of lost faith that it would ever come back again. Uh, when they brought it back, they did move it. And it's about a half a block down from where it was originally. Originally, it went up the um, south side of the Third Street Tunnel, up to the uh, uh, to Olive. Uh, it crossed over Clay Street, which was at the um, opening of the Third Street Tunnel. So about half of the distance that the cars ran was along the um, cutout for the Third Street Tunnel. Uh, So it was different. It was much different than it is now because um, there was a sheer (laughs) drop-off where the cutout for the tunnel was down to the uh, roadway. And so when you looked out over the, um, at the window of of Angel's Flight, uh, you were looking over a precipice. Um, And when it crossed Clay Street, uh, it went over a street where there were people walking underneath the tracks and there were cars and that sort of thing. So it was, it was much different than it is now. And that brings up the thrill ride aspect yeah. of it. Because as any of you who have been on Angel Flight will know, it's got three rails. There are three tracks, three rails. So they share the middle rail. So as the cars are approaching one another, they look like they're going to hit head on. And for a kid... It, you swear these things are going to hit head on. And at the last minute, they swerve past each other. Uh, although swerve is not the right word. Uh, if you've been on it, you know they lurch <laughs> lurch past one another um, and miss by a matter of inches. And I don't mean six inches. I mean an inch or two. <laughs> but if you're in the uh, north car going downhill, particularly, when that lurch, the pass occurs right at the depth of the cutout for the Third Street Tunnel, so it looks like you're going to be launched out over the precipice. <laughs> it was a great thrill ride, and it only cost a nickel. Okay, Gordon, we're going to bring this on home. You're going to give us a day in the life of Gordon Pattison. Pick a day, pick a year, tell us how old you are, Saturday afternoon. Go. Well, uh... I, I spent a lot of time on uh, the weekends uh, walking all over um, Bunker Hill. Uh, my father would be doing uh, maintenance on our buildings, which were uh, rooming houses at that point. Um, so I would be free to walk around all over the place, and I walked down uh, much of the time. I went down to the library and spent my afternoons in the library, um, checking out books and reading and just enjoying that wonderful building. Um, but I would also come back and just kind of walk up and down the streets, and uh, I would ride Angel Flight just because it was a great thrill ride and fun to do. Um, but we also went downtown and shopped. We would go to Grand Central Market and do our shopping there uh, and bring everything back on the uh, Angel's Flight. Um, we'd walk up 3rd Street. Um, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Um, on the northwest corner... There was a, a building called the Nugent, and there was a delicatessen at the on the corner. Oh, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you. We're on Bunker Hill. We're at 3rd and Grand. 3rd and Grand. So we're just a little west of, of the Angel Flight Station House. Right. Okay, and we walk into the intersection of 3rd and Grand. So go back to the Nugent Hotel, because I was afraid people didn't know where you were. They thought you might yeah. be down on Broadway or something. Oh, no, no. We're back up on, on, uh, on Bunker Hill, because 3rd and Grand was a... Uh, there was a little commercial area there. Uh, one of the uh, establishments was the um, delicatessen in the Nugent, but uh, there was a Angel Flight Pharmacy was catty-corner to that, and there were um, restaurants, cafes, um, laundries, cleaners, shoe repair, that kind of thing, uh, all along that block between Angel Flight and Grand on 3rd. But anyway, I would go in there because on a hot day, uh, it was very refreshing to go back in the back where they had a cooler and uh, pick out a bottle of uh, Pepsi-Cola uh, to, to, to drink the Pepsi-Cola. Yeah, that was the best Pepsi-Cola I ever had, and I'm sure it cost about a nickel. But uh, if you uh, want to experience that, check out 
um, Cry Danger yeah. uh, that was shot down here with Dick Powell in about 1950 or 51, maybe 49. And uh, there's a sequence where he drives up Grant in his Nash. He turns onto the 3rd Street, parks next to the Nugent, and he walks into the Delicatessen and rock right past the coolers with the bottles inside of it. So you can you can experience it yourself vicariously. I think I think that's effective ownership too when that you is, see your when you see your your local haunt in a film. That's absolutely if that's what we mean by effective ownership. <laughs> Gordon, I want to uh, I'm going to I'm glad we did this before I let you go. I want you to tell us one thing we don't know about Angel's Light or one great story about Angel's Light before we go. I know that's all you've done for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> one great story. Um, well, you know, I think the time that I liked to ride the Angel's Flight the best was actually at night because that heightened the thrill of the thrill ride. But also, Angel's Flight is, is lighted by these um, incandescent light bulbs that are naked light bulbs, low yeah. wattage. Yeah. Um, and so the lighting is real low, and the wood uh, paneling inside Angel's Flight, it's all wood paneled in there, dark oak wood paneling. It's a magical place at nighttime. And you can still experience that when they open it again. <laughs> okay, Gordon, good. I, I think I'm going to thank you, and I think we're both going to thank John Wellborn, who is president of the Angel's Flight Railway Association, who is tirelessly, selflessly, and unceasingly advocated and maintained this funicular. And we look forward to it reopening. And I want to thank you again for talking to us. Thank you very much. And I will applaud him because we need him to reopen this thing. My name is Alina Skrzyszewska. I'm in uh, downtown Los Angeles. And you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. Donald, I'm here with you. We're on the pedestrian bridge at 3rd and Figueroa. We're in the shadow of one of the three towers of Bunker Hill Towers. I want you to properly introduce yourself and tell us about this pedestrian bridge. Okay, thank you. Uh, my name is Don Spivak. I'm formerly the Deputy Chief of Operations for the Community Redevelopment Agency in Los Angeles, which was uh, the entity that was responsible for the reconstruction of Bunker Hill. Perfect. Okay, good. You've introduced yourself. Uh, we're on this pedestrian bridge at 3rd and Figueroa. It connects the Bunker Hill Towers to the World Trade Center. And we're standing about three feet away, five feet away from a plaque of Calvin Hamilton. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about the things I've just called out. Bunker Hill Towers, this walkway connecting to other buildings, and Calvin Hamilton. A little bit of history. Bunker Hill was uh, originally a very well-to-do residential neighborhood overlooking downtown Los Angeles, which at that time was roughly 1st to 4th Street on Hill Street, Broadway, and Spring Street, much smaller than, than Los Angeles is today. It was developed in the late 1800s as a residential neighborhood. It had seriously deteriorated by the 1950s, at which time it was all demolished and um, plans were put in place to replace it with a substantial amount of new development, residential, commercial, uh, office, hotel. The first residential development was the Bunker Hill Towers, uh, three buildings that are uh, practically adjacent to where we're standing right now. Part of them are condominiums. Uh, the balance of them are rental units, but they've been in place now for you know, close to 50 years. Yeah. And um, they anchored the northern end of Bunker Hill. Bunker Hill itself is 132 acres, and it runs from roughly 1st Street to 5th Street, primarily straddling uh, Figueroa, Flower, Grand, Olive Streets. And um, nearby are the World Trade Center, which was um, anticipated as being a significant piece of the commercial and cultural activity. It was intended to bring in a lot of international business uh, operations that uh, never quite met its promise, but it is surrounded by large hotels and other office buildings that really did make this part of downtown Los Angeles the financial core 
of the city uh, put in place at a time when a lot of businesses had started simply moving out of downtown Los Angeles uh, because of the deterioration and the obsolescence of the buildings in other parts of the core. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you. I, I, I want to stop us in the midst of this good talk about the three things I asked you to talk about. I want to take a breath. Could you give us a date at the beginning of the Bunker Hill Redevelopment Project and a sense of the project area and then just maybe we've talked or we're looking at Union Bank Tower. If you could give us three salient structures besides what you just named Bunker Hill Towers that, that defined the Bunker Hill Redevelopment Project for the Community Redevelopment Agency. Okay. The Bunker Hill Redevelopment Project was adopted in 1959. It was an urban renewal project, which meant it was uh, in the essence of the way the federal government financed urban projects of the time, total clearance and, and reconstruction. The first buildings to go up were the residential buildings at the Bunker Hill Towers in 1962. The first uh, commercial building was the Union Bank Tower in 1964. The project area itself uh, runs roughly from 1st to 5th Street from the Harbor Freeway to Hill Street. It's about 132 acres. Some of the significant buildings besides the Bunker Hill Towers and the Union Bank Tower uh, are the uh, what's now the Wells Fargo Center, originally built as the headquarters for uh, Crocker Bank, the uh, Bank of America Tower, which was originally the headquarters for the Security Pacific Bank, and Angeles Plaza, which is the largest federally subsidized uh, low-income residential project for seniors in the United States. Perfect. I was Okay, you did. Thank you. So now we're able to take a breath. The redevelopment agency is putting in all of these buildings and these pedestrian walkways are part of this infrastructure to connect everything. So start, let's start to talk about this pedestrian walkway, which has a plaque of a uh, important city planner, which is it's not your department. Right. The Community Redevelopment Agency and City Planning were distinct agencies, but why don't you tell us about this walkway and uh, Calvin Hamilton, whose plaque is in the middle of it. Okay. Uh, first off, the City of Los Angeles is responsible for land use planning in the city. Okay. And the Redevelopment Agency, while it carries out programs in specific geographic areas, has to be bound by the land use plans adopted okay. by the city. Uh, Cal Hamilton was the director of city planning for a couple of decades, a real, a real yeah. visionary in many ways. Um, and one of his concepts was in the downtown area to separate vehicular and pedestrian traffic. So he con uh, conceptualized the idea of a network of pedestrian bridges to achieve that separation. In the case of Bunker Hill, because of the grades of Bunker Hill, it made sense. It, there, there were places where you had differences in elevation of up to 90 feet from street to street. <laughs> And so a network that would go over certain streets and under certain streets made a whole lot of sense. Now, his idea was to extend it into flatter areas of the downtown. And at the redevelopment agency, we saw the value of a pedestrian network in Bunker Hill, but felt that if it extended into the flatter portions of the financial district, it would split the, at that time, still very limited pedestrian yeah. traffic. So, so we felt it was really important in other parts of downtown to emphasize the sidewalk structure. So this was an area in which we and, and Cal Hamilton differed. But the network did prove out to be very important in Bunker Hill, again, because of the grades. Uh, it connects, uh, as here at 3rd and Figueroa Streets, where we're at the northern end of the network, it connects over major traffic arteries, uh, Figueroa Street being many, many lanes wide here, so it's a dangerous street-level crossing. It connects into many of the major buildings and through them, uh, the portions that are inside buildings uh, do give some weather protection, which is a good idea on very hot summer days when there isn't a lot of shade otherwise. And it does uh, moderate the grades that people have to, uh, have to deal with. One of the network connections that did not happen was that this piece in particular was supposed to connect with the forerunner of the regional connector, which we're now talking about in Los Angeles, which was the downtown people mover. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. The, the downtown people mover was envisioned as a distributor for traffic with major parking destinations at both ends, Union right. Station on the northeast and the convention center on the southwest. And uh, this would be primarily above ground except where it went through Bunker Hill. And there was to be a station on the deck of the World Trade Center, which is about a block from where we are right now. The deck is there. It's positioned for a station to be built on it. It could be built at any time. But so far, although we preserved the right-of-way for the people mover, um, it doesn't look like it's going to get built anytime in the, in the near future. Uh, the, 
could you just can you is there anything more you can tell us about the people mover except that that the funding was cut it's, it's such a great concept this segregation of foot traffic pedestrian traffic uh, vehicular traffic and light rail traffic it's, it's really it, this is really what this is the core of Calvin Hamilton's beliefs of how to rebuild Los Angeles. Right, which, which some of us felt in some areas it made more sense to try to mix them because you get more activity at street level. So, so that, was, that was an issue that we did diverge on in a couple of places. But the idea there was downtown Los Angeles did not have the parking supply to compete with the suburbs. Right. So by creating two large parking pools at the ends of the downtown, we'd be able to, with a connector, get people to drive into town on the freeway system, park, and then take the, the people mover to connect them to their final destinations in, in other parts of the downtown. And that would be almost a seamless way of getting people to their final destinations. And it was to be integral to the redevelopment of places like Bunker Hill, which were envisioned as being very high-rise, very high-density, uh, primarily workplace destinations. Uh, one of the interesting things in the history of the people mover is that somehow it got wrapped into the issue of school busing in Los Angeles. How exactly that <laughs> happened, but the Congress member at the time killed the people mover in Los Angeles <clears throat> um, because of that connection. Uh, she was running against school busing, and she made that linkage, and she got reelected to Congress and killed the people mover, which meant that the people mover money was up for grabs. It ultimately went to Detroit. Detroit got their people mover because it was taken away from Los Angeles, which was a consolation prize to Detroit for having gone for the wrong presidential candidate in the early 70s. So it, they did not get the money for their subway. So the people mover was their consolation prize. Now, in the long run, now that we're talking about doing the regional connector, which yes. is a much more sensible yes. way of creating a downtown distributor, the people mover is no longer quite so critical as it appeared to be at that point. Okay, good. All right, so regional connector, good. So now we're... We've did it. We're 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 in the home stretch. Okay, so we're on the pedestrian walkway, which needs a little work. I mean, it's it's it's. But I, I understand that that that's in the works. I understand that Essex is and and the city and the bids are working on this. So this is good. But this uh, pretty not too well used, but used walkway with the. Re- let's look ahead. Let's look at seven years. Let's let's assume the best and assume in seven years the regional connector will be active. What do you see these pedestrian walkways of which we're on the northern part of doing for this area with the regional connector activated? The first thing is to talk about what the regional connector does, which pulls together a number of uh, light rail lines that that go in several directions from downtown that now are disconnected. And so it will link together the Pasadena line, the East Los Angeles line, the Culver City line, the Long Beach line to eliminate a series of transfers and deliver people right into the heart of the city. One of the stations is to be in the vicinity of 2nd and Hope, 3rd and Hope Streets, which is just a couple of blocks from here. With the ability to deliver a lot more people by transit into the core, which was one of the original principles of Bunker Hill, by the way, uh, the pedestrian network will become a much more important distributor of people once they get off the trains to their final destinations. Perfect. Okay. You did it. I... I Donald, you always nail it. You nail it right in that. I, I want to thank you for talking to us. Sure thing. It's my pleasure. My name is Carolyn Paxton. I'm an urban radish here in the downtown LA Arts District. And you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. And we're done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our latest podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of August 11th, 2014. Our guests this week were Nada's son, Gordon Pattison, talking about his beloved Angel's Flight, and former Deputy Chief of Operations and Policy for the Community Redevelopment Agency of Los Angeles, Donald Spivak. We want to hear from you. So, Kim, tell us about the feedback loop they can become involved in. You can send us an email at youcaneatthesunshine at gmail.com or through the contact link at www.esoturic.com. You can also come and see us on an esoteric bus adventure or one of the free Lava Sunday salons and walking tours that follow or the forensic science seminars that happen on a quarterly basis at Cal State Los Angeles. We are always delighted to hear from podcast listeners, so let us know what you think, if you like it. And if you don't, keep it to yourself. That's okay. 
Yeah, but, but keep, keep, keep the positive feedback coming. Okay, Kim, take us home. Let's hear about some upcoming tours through October 4, which is the relaunch of your Wild Wild West side. No, October 4 is Echo Park Book of the Dead. It is your new, it is your new crime tour. October 25th is your relaunch of your Wild Wild West side. I know we have a lot of dates to keep in our head, but we've got some stuff coming up, and we'd love to see you on the bus. So if you've been thinking about joining us, perhaps one of the upcoming tours will appeal. Perhaps two of them will. Always remember, never forget, we have this cool thing we do on the bus where when you get aboard, you um, get a little booklet for the day's tour, and... Um, Attached inside, stapled with Richard's incredibly cool stapler stapler from Japan. Hanji. Hanji? Hanji. 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 Um, is a discount coupon, which is good for $18 off your next tour, provided you book within three months. So, many people have been taking advantage of this. They get on the bus because they know there's another tour they want to take a few months ahead, and ends up being $96 for two tours, which is a pretty good deal for the kind of wild show. The hilarity that ensues, the, the entertainment that we provide, and education. So, with no further ado, upcoming tours include Boyle Heights in the San Gabriel Valley, the hidden history is of L.A.'s melting pots, August the 16th, Evergreen Cemetery, the, the ongoing preservation efforts of Wyvernwood, the amazing Venice Room, and the Beverly Hills of the East Side, at El Encanto, perhaps one of the most beautiful spaces in Southern California. You will learn so much. You will discover all of the patterns of immigration and the stories over 100 years from different people that have all of these really cool golden threads running through them. Uh, it's one of my favorite tours that you've written, Richard. Thank you, Kim. You're welcome. So, love to see you on that bus, and that one is filling up. August the 23rd, we have the lowdown on downtown. If you enjoyed Donald Spivak's interview in this podcast, you will definitely want to get on that tour. We've learned a lot from Donald and from our other researchers. We've tried to reveal the true history of downtown as opposed to the incredibly simplistic and pretty dishonest version of downtown history that gets put out by developers. Downtown is so interesting, so weird, so screwed up. So, so beguiling, it's worth actually knowing what happened. And we do our best on that tour to uh, really reveal some of those narratives. So it's, it's a pretty interesting tour. If you care about downtown, I recommend that one. Then we're getting into a little slew of crime bus tours on the 6th of September. We're going to be trotting a lot of the same streets that we did. We're rolling down in the lowdown on downtown, but it's a crime bus tour. Hotel Horrors and Main Street Vice. It's a crime and social history double feature about horrifying murders and low-life entertainments in the old downtown before it got cleaned up and depopulated. And it's a very, very exciting place. If you want to know what really happened in these buildings before all the newcomers came, we're going to tell you on Hotel Horrors and Main Street Vice. On September the 13th, it's Weird West Adams, a tour of a really interesting network of suburbs where a lot of god-awful things happen, mostly in the 20s. We'll also take a lovely little ramble in Angeles Rosedale Cemetery and along one of the most beautiful uh, early Edwardian streets that survives in Southern California, Alvarado Terrace, which is also the site of the shortest street in Los Angeles. So if you've never seen it before, come see it with us. Eastside Babylon is September the 20th. That is my most unhinged crime bus tour. I'm actually reading things in just a wee little bit on Echo Park Book of the Dead so that I can continue to say that because Eastside Babylon... No, you're, no, you're not. I'm not? You're not reining it in. It's just nothing... Nothing, nothing could be that unhinged. Nothing touches Eastside Babylon. Okay. It is my most unhinged crime bus tour. I love it. The Radio Shop Murders, the uh, Night Stalker, Evergreen Cemetery, the Carnies. Little Gerald, oh, little Geraldine, I love her so much. The little goddess is burning. And we go to Brugere's and have some chocolate milk, and uh, uh, I think it's just going to be chocolate milk. I don't think they're going to have the eggnog no, yet. It's too not. much too early in the season. Honestly, I like the chocolate milk better. Pasadena Confidential, September 27th. It is our Pasadena Confidential crime bus tour exploring the worlds of rocket scientists, black magic, inappropriate pets, presidential assassins, suicide bridges, some of the most beautiful buildings you will see on any of our tours. And uh, it is our crime list edition, so if you're scared of clowns, I know some of you are, although if you... Open the LA Weekly this week, you might have seen Crimebo. He was featured. Great little piece in there about how Crimebo was born on our bus and is, has 
Our, our, our little crime clown has grown up, and he's gone out on his own. He still does our bus tours. He's not never on the bus. This just happens to be his, his wedding anniversary. So you know what you should do? You should get on the bus, and then you should send Crimebo an anniversary greeting. Finally, on the 4th of October, it is the debut of our newest Crime Bus Tour, and thank you, podcast listeners and esoteric fans who've been buying up your tickets. It's nice to know. We have an eager audience awaiting this debut, Echo Park Book of the Dead. It is my most new crime bus tour, and I'm very excited about it. We found some great cases, and we have some very beautiful things to show you, as well as horrible things, and I think it will forever change the way you think about a lot of familiar locations in that part of the world, so hope to see you on the bus. Kim, I want to thank you. That was a, that was a great rundown you brought us home. I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you for listening. Continue to listen, and I want to remind you... You can't eat the sunshine. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long-lost neighborhood. Called Hermina between South Pass and Highland Park, Grand Central Mark. Gold mine of fabulous oddities like Bruges.